I'm your host, Michael Callahan, and wherever you might be now, this is where we go next. And can you remember the first book that left a lasting impact on you, that widened how you saw the world, made you curious about a new frontier of knowledge, or expanded the very boundaries of your mind? The ability to read is a powerful tool as much as it is a lifelong gift. Our guest this week has made it her mission to increase literacy rates across her home state with a little help from her horses. Quote, I am Caitlin Gooch, hardworking mother of four. My husband is in the Navy. I drive a big ass truck. I wear a helmet when I ride my horses. My family farm has been up since before I was born. I started saddle up and read. I put horses in front of black and brown children consistently. End quote. And Caitlin, that's a quote from your Twitter. But you've been featured on CBS This Morning, The Kelly Clarkson Show, Southern Living, Vogue, NPR, The Washington Post, Good Morning America, Access Hollywood. You've even gotten a birthday shout out from Oprah Winfrey. In your free time, and I'm not quite sure where you find it, you make handcrafted cards because you believe in, quote, spreading love through snail mail, end quote. Caitlin, thank you for making the time in your busy schedule to join us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now I understand <laughs> how people are like, how do you get anything done? <laughs> I'm impressed by how you have any time to talk to people like me. So thank you for coming on the show. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. First, happy belated birthday to your Uncle Otis, who had a birthday yesterday. Yes, him and my mom's, their birthdays are on the same day. I think that's so funny. My dad's best friend and my dad's wife have the same birthday. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, happy birthday to both of them. As I was doing research and trying to paint a picture of your biography, you have eight horses of your own and your dad also has a horse farm. How many horses are on his farm? How many horses are we talking total here? Surprisingly, my dad only has three horses right now. Like that is very, very shocking. (laughs) I don't know the exact number. There has to be like closer to 30 horses on the farm. Okay. And that's in addition to the rabbit, the three dogs, and of course your four children. Now, are you personally responsible for all 30 of those horses? Do you have any help as you're working on the farms? I used to be back when we had more and growing up, we had a lot more horses. But right now, there are people who work on the farm and they take care of the horses. And then the boarders, they do self-care, so they take care of their own horses. I will admit that beyond the research that I've done for this interview, I am very naive when it comes to horses and horse care. So I'll apologize in advance if I ask any ignorant questions. But when it comes to horse boarding, is that a situation where someone is either owning or renting a horse and is using part of your property to kind of house the horse between times when they ride it? Is that how horse boarding goes? So basically, their horses have apartments (laughs) at the barn. It's like that. So they're paying a monthly rate to rent out a stall or a pasture for their horse. Gotcha. This is going to be kind of backwards, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Man Man. So Man Man is is the mini horse that you own, correct? Yes. And how long have you had Man Man? I've had him for two years now. It'll be three years next year. I saw an ad on Craigslist (laughs) and I like contacted this man who was like, he has this miniature horse for sale. And I was trying to wait to maybe talk him down a bit because the price that he was set at and not having much handling, it was just like, well, I had to put a lot of work into this. So he was like, well, I'll let you know. And then like two weeks later, he let me know and I went and got him. And I think he was in Goldsboro, North Carolina. That's where he was at. Now, how far of a drive is that from where you currently live? Well, from the farm in Wendell, that was like 45 minutes. Yeah, it wasn't far. But Wendell's three-hour drive from where you live in Virginia, in Chesapeake? This is correct. It's a three-hour drive. Ooh, (laughs) I'm so used to it now, but before (laughs) it used to be a lot because I was making that drive when I was pregnant. I've been pregnant twice since this pandemic started. (laughs) So just imagine that. 
you know, I'll try. I have one dog and I live alone and oftentimes he feels like a handful. So honestly, Caitlin, even thinking about everything you're dealing with is, is causing me a little bit of stress. But I'd love to just jump into your story, right? Because the thing that attracted me to your mission with Saddle Up and Read and wanting to get kids interested in reading and passionate about it and closing that literacy gap is really important to me because one of my very first memories of my own childhood was sitting next to my father at the age of three years old as he kind of walked me through writing my first short stories. I didn't know actually how to write yet. I was only three. I was sitting next to him in my parents' townhouse in Northern California, and he had a typewriter. And I would dictate like Superman and Batman stories to him, and he would type them out and read them back to me. And ever since I was a little kid, I've been very passionate about reading and writing because I think if a child knows how to read, they can know how to imagine. And if they can imagine, they can create, and then they can build, and they can become something more. Before we get into Saddle Up and Read, I would just love to go back to your childhood and learn a little bit about your first memory with horses. Do you remember the first time that you have a memory of horses or riding horses? I wish I could remember like that very first time because my dad has always had the horse farm. Like he's had it since before I was born. So I know like I've had to have some interaction when I was a baby, but I don't remember that very first time. I've seen pictures <laughs> and I'm like, I don't remember that horse at all. And even my dad, he'd be like, you don't remember? No, I don't. <laughs> But I really wish I did. But I do know that my childhood horse, Goat, and I talk about her a lot on my social media page. Her name stands for Goes Over Anything. I remember her, you know, I had her when I was in elementary school. And I just remember getting her ready. I remember the first time I cantered on her on a trail ride. And the first time I let go of holding onto the saddle horn. I remember that stuff and my journey with her. But the other horses, not so much. One of my favorite aspects of kind of just researching you and your life and going through your social media was the story of you and Goat, right? Because I think when someone thinks of Goat, and you talk about this in your post about her passing and her going over the Rainbow Bridge, so to speak, about how a lot of people think it stands for greatest of all time, which wouldn't be inappropriate because she sounds like she truly was a great horse and a great companion. But for folks who aren't familiar with horseback riding and equestrianism, goes over anything. Can you talk a little bit more about why she was called that specifically? Yes. So we have done trail rides here on the East Coast. And like every weekend we get together with other Black equestrians and we camp out for like the weekend and we ride horses on Saturday. And typically on the trails on Saturday, they're like three or four hours long, <laughs> but there's these different saddle clubs. And one of the saddle clubs is a saddle club called Rough Riders, the Rough Riders in Maryland. And they had this horse, this man who used to own her, his name was Mr. Vic. And I don't know what conversation was had, like if she was up for sale or if my dad was like, you know, that would be a good horse for my daughter. But she had already had this name because on those trail rides, she went over anything, like whether it was a fallen tree they needed to jump over, going through a pond or a ditch, she walked over it. Wow. Okay. Because I know that that is not necessarily something that all horses are comfortable doing. A lot of horses can get spooked by large items or find themselves incapable to go over necessarily every object they come across. So I guess that kind of made Goat special in that way. Yes, that definitely made her special. And for me, you know, being that young and having a horse who wouldn't hesitate to do something, that, that meant a lot. And she kept me safe. <laughs> That's really nice. Now, you mentioned that you grew up on your father's farm. I think it was 89 acres. Now, he founded Black Trails Magazine, which I believe from my research promotes and uplifts the Black equestrian community in its own right. So how did your father come to be so passionate about horses? What's his story? Oh, my goodness. You have to ask him that. He's told it to me before, <laughs> and I cannot remember this man's name off the top of my head, but it was someone who lived, I believe, down the street. And I think he had mules. Dad, if this isn't the story... Just, I forgot. <laughs> but I think he had mules. And when he was young, he had saw them riding horses and I think riding the mules or something like that. And I think for him, it was like, oh, that's something that I want to do. He just thought it was really cool. And so that's what he did. <laughs> so my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family both grew up and were in the I say Wendell, but it's actually Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock used to be a town and it was a predominantly black town. And that's where 
both sides of our family had grew up at and where they were. And so the land isn't just my dad's. It's split between both sides of the family, <laughs> but he has his portion, but we just call it the family land because we're literally all related. That's great. Now, was that something where they had the land before your father first became interested in horses and had that encounter with the neighbor's mules? Or was it something where he became interested in it and then got the family involved and they bought the farm? Or how long has the farm been in your family? A long time because my dad's grandfather, they farmed tobacco, I believe. Yeah, they were tobacco farmers. Even my dad, he had farmed soybeans at one point. He went to North Carolina A&T to, he had a, has a degree in agriculture. So for a very long time, I think we can date that back a couple of decades. <laughs> and you now have a farm of your own in Virginia. No. So my farm is still in Wendell, North Carolina. I'm just here in our house. We live in a neighborhood <laughs> while my husband is stationed here for now. I plan on moving back to the farm so I don't have to keep going back and forth. <laughs> and two, so I can just do more and continue to build up the farm because right now we're doing some well-needed renovations. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at a TikTok video that you posted about your average day on the farm. And, and in addition to walking, I think, 18,000 steps a day, walk us through what like an average day on the farm is like. And, and again, I'm pleading ignorance as kind of a spoiled avocado eating Californian here. So Walk us through what like the average day on a farm is like, because I imagine this is kind of how you grew up as well. Yeah. So when I get up in the morning, you know, like do my morning routine and I get myself together and eat breakfast, which sometimes breakfast is like the only meal that I get in. I have to remember to eat. I do that. Then I go outside and my dog Princess is there. I've had her for a very long time as well. My Uncle Otis. Yeah, I was just going to say, your Uncle Otis gave you Princess as a gift, right? Yep. He gave her to me at a race. My dad built a racetrack on the farm. So there was like a race and he had these puppies and I got her. <laughs> so Princess is there. I feed her. And then I get into my Jeep. I had this little red Jeep Liberty and I drive down to the barn. Sometimes I walk. It just depends on if there's something in my Jeep that I need and I just don't want to carry it. And Princess, she'll follow me down to the barn. So I'm there. And then I kind of just start my day based on what needs to be done, whether I need to pick up some trash or it's some stuff that needs to be moved. Like in that TikTok, I was moving these. My dad bought a bunch of pool chairs and tables. And I don't even know why, but I've been moving them because they've been in the way. But some of them have been really heavy. So moving that stuff and just walking around and making sure that everything is up and none of the horses can get out. And then let's see the miniature horse. I'll let him wander around and just graze. He doesn't go out into the pasture because he can get out of them very easily. He's very small. <laughs> so I'll let him wander around and graze. And then I'll clean out his stall. And I don't always have to clean out his stall. Like I said, we have people that work there and, and they do it. But I clean out his stall. And then I'll wash out all of the horse buckets and go around and clean the water troughs. And there's like three different pastures. And I try to make sure that those are clean like while I'm there. And then at some point, I'll go to the post office because I had to check the mail for Saddle Up and Read and check our P.O. box. I'll put whatever packages we have away and deposit whatever checks that we might have gotten in for donations. And then I might get something to eat. If you remember. <laughs> yeah, if I remember and try to take a break. And I'm drinking water in between all of that. Sometimes the kids are with me. Sometimes they aren't. It just depends on what's going on that day or that weekend. And after that... I'll go back to get man man and I'll groom like a couple of the horses. And also depending on the day, kids might come out. If kids are out, then they're helping me groom horses and I'm teaching them about horses. <laughs> if they're not there, then I'm just continuing the day with my horses. It just, yeah, every day is kind of different. I think I saw that man man had his first peppermint recently. Is that right? Yes, he tried these peppermints. There's an amazing organization called Detroit Horsepower, and they sent us these peppermint treats, and he really enjoyed them. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Are they a company that makes, what, like treats and food for horses? 
No, they are a nonprofit that serves minorities and they've been doing some awesome things. They'll take the kids to a barn where they can ride horses and they're just really awesome. That's wonderful. Now, you said on social media that it's important for you to get children interested in farm life. For you, I can understand why it's important to your story because that's part of your biography and what you did. But why is it important for you to share that love with other children as well who may not have experienced that growing up? I don't know what it's like to live in the city, (laughs) but I do know what it's like to live out in the country and to be able to have fresh air and hear the birds chirping and the crickets chirping and hear the frogs doing what they do at night. And I just think that's so important in growing your own food. Like there's so many rewards and all of that. And I want to share it because as an adult, I realized not everyone gets a chance to experience this. And I know that everyone doesn't get a chance to grow up like this, but even experiencing it, (laughs) it's kind of lost on some adults that I've been meeting and talking with. And they're just like, this is my first time ever being around a horse or ever seeing this much land. Like even in my Instagram stories, people will say, wow, it's so green. And I'm like, what do you mean (laughs) it's so green? (laughs) Like, wow, there's not grass where you are. So for me, I really want to share that so kids are familiar with it and they'll take an interest in agriculture because I'm just thinking about the future. Like right now we have farmers like our hay farmer. I think he's in his like 70s or one of them is in their 70s or 80s and he's still going at it by himself. Eventually he is going to pass away. So like who is going to step into those places to provide hay for our horses or even to provide food for us? So I just want to expose kids to that so they can think about the different careers that they have, because not everything is just being a lawyer or a doctor or a social worker or any of those careers. Like there's other things or even working just in tech, like you can work in tech and also be in agriculture. Yes. You had mentioned on um, an appearance that you had on the Kelly Clarkson show, you recounted a conversation you had with an older man who had said that his mom, quote, kind of crushed his dreams. When he was a kid, he wanted to be a cowboy, but she told him that black people were not cowboys. And that's so not true. And we have such a rich history that people often don't know about, end quote. And it seems like that is tied to a lot of what you just said. It's not just about whether or not people understand the true history of black cowboys and black cowgirls, which we'll get to in just a second, but also just the idea of even knowing that these types of careers that you're talking about are even available or possible for a lot of children. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about your nonprofit, Saddle Up and Read, the thing that originally caused me to reach out and want to talk with you. So this stat kind of blew me away. 35% of fourth graders, only 35%, read at or above grade level. And there's a stat from the Saddle Up and Read website, and this is really alarming. About two-thirds of kids in America who aren't reading proficiently in fourth grade will end up on welfare or in jail. Two-thirds of children who are not reading proficiently by that age. So before we get into why you decided to start the program, was there a significant moment in your life that sparked your love for reading? Because we've talked a bit about how you developed a love for horses and your history growing up on a farm. But what was your experience with reading like as a child? I really just remember that at a young age, I was already reading and I was already writing. I was writing it in cursive, which I cannot do today. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. I totally forgot how to do it. Yeah, but I was just always interested in reading. I think for me, it was just when you read a story, like it might be funny, it might be sad, it might take you on an adventure. And I really love to be taken on adventures because I personally don't remember us traveling much outside of going to the trail rides, which weren't just in North Carolina. They're in like Virginia, South Carolina, in Maryland. I know, I think we went to like Disneyland or something, but I don't even remember that. (laughs) But I remember the books that I read and the, the characters and the stories. I'm an introvert. So I like to keep to myself and keep to my books. And I was very shy when I was younger. Like, I'm not like that now, but I was extremely shy. (laughs) I was just so shy. So being with the books and then being with the horses, it was like I was in my own world. 
Yeah, I loved reading so much as a kid. My attention span is like shot these days. I feel like the internet in general has made my attention span like really short. I'll get like halfway through an article and I'll find myself just kind of drifting off. But when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. our stories are very different. I grew up in a suburb, in a predominantly white suburb. And we traveled a little bit, like a couple of Disneyland trips and like maybe to Tahoe, which was like two hours away. But one of the things that I loved about reading, and I think you just said it so well, is that like it gave me a window into other experiences and other people's lives, whether it was fictional or non-fictional, and it felt like a portal to another world that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise, you know? Yeah. And I just love that. And I love to share that with kids because I think sometimes kids might be like, they don't like to read because I'll ask them, I'll say, I'll ask them, do you read? Do you like to read? And the ones that say no it's really a matter of what is it that they're interested in? Because, you know, sometimes there'll be a list of books that we have to read in school. There's no way every child is going to like those books that are offered. So we have to figure out, okay, what kind of books do you like? What kind of genre do you like? Because And help them explore that so that they actually learn to love to read. Yes. Yes. That is so true. I remember when when I was a kid, there were a couple books like Catch-22 and Catcher in the Rye that my dad recommended to me because he knew I was going to be reading them, I think, in freshman year of high school. And he was like, you should read them the summer before freshman year. You need to appreciate these books outside of the context of school so you don't associate those books with work. And I find a lot of times when I talk to children, either about trying to foster a love of writing or reading within them, I volunteer at some schools here every so often in Los Angeles. And I find what happens is exactly what you said, either they associate reading with stories that they're not interested in. Like imagine a child who's like only ever eaten broccoli, right? And then you ask them, hey, do you like food? And they say, no, I don't really like food. Well, if the only food they've ever eaten is broccoli, well, of course, they don't think they like food. (laughs) You know, but you give that child some lasagna, some pasta, some burgers, they're probably going to eventually start liking food. They just haven't eaten enough of it. Exactly. (laughs) That's a great analogy. No, it's a big problem too, right? Like with writing, which is something I'm also passionate about, is I'll come across these kids who, when I first start working with them, they'll say, you know, I don't really like writing. As I sort of tease that out with them and we start giving them assignments to write whatever they want, there's no grading. They can just write any kind of story they want. There's no rules. All of a sudden, they'll realize it's not that they dislike writing. They dislike the idea of writing within the context of all those like strictures, right? Like you have to write exactly like this on this subject and it becomes a chore rather than a delight. And I think that's something that's really important. Sorry to get up on a tangent there. I just I'm really passionate about this subject. Oh, I I get it. Trust me. (laughs) So, okay. So that takes us to Saddle Up and Read, which is your project to raise literacy rates in children and especially children of color and to combine and encourage that love of reading with exposure to horses. So let's start where it started. Tell us about the drawing at your local library that kind of started this journey for you. Yes. So my background is in childcare. Even before I had a professional job in childcare, it was in childcare because I have a huge family and they're like, five to 10 babies born every year. (laughs) Oh, wow. How big is your family that five or 10 children are being born every year? (laughs) Walk me through that. (laughs) I mean, including my mom, it's like eight of them. (laughs) Wow. Um, And then each of them have like two or three kids. And then we all have kids. (laughs) So big family. So your your mom has seven siblings. Yes. Huge family. It's like a baseball team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Huge family. So Just being around kids most of my life and then professionally when I was working specifically at the Boys and Girls Club, the kids had, they had these spelling tests that they had to do every week. And some of them, I mean, they were failing and it was just like, you know, like these are two and three letter words, four letter words. And we have to improve on this somehow, you know, like it can't just be, oh, I don't want to do this because you have to do it because you have to learn and you have to learn how to read and learn how to write and learn how to spell. So it kind of started with that because the kids would be like, you know, Miss Miss Gooch or they would call me Miss G. They wanted to see the horses on my phone. They wanted to see the pictures and the videos and we would spend time drawing pictures of horses and all of that stuff. So I would show them, but it was kind of like, Okay, I'll show it to you, but you have to do this first. And so that kind of blossomed into me sending an email to our local library, Window Library. And I said, hey, I have an idea and I really want to get kids interested in reading. 
and we can use my horses. And so that's when we had our first program. The library made this flyer and it said that if you check out three or more books, they had the entire month. I think it was the whole month of like August or something in 2017. So any kids that came in and they checked out three or more books, they wrote their name down on this piece of paper and it went into the little box that was attached to the flyer. And then at the end of the month, the librarians picked five kids and those kids got a certificate that said, you have won a trip to the farm. And so they came out and they read to the horses. They fed the horses treats. They got a chance to groom the horses. And that was, it was so much fun. And I did that at another library, Zebulon Elementary. And that time, 10 kids were picked and those kids came out. So that was a huge hit because I know that first one, I believe they had counted over 100 entries. So the kids were really interested and they were willing to to check out those books and, and get to reading because it was like a raffle and the prize was to come out and hang with horses for free. <laughs> That's wonderful. And you know, it kind of speaks to something you said earlier of how For a lot of children and even adults, right, who haven't grown up on a farm or anywhere with a lot of grass, to kind of quote what you said earlier, a horse can be a very exotic and wondrous thing. And it really makes me realize how, you know, I didn't grow up around horses. I've done some horseback riding when I was a kid, just like on little vacations and stuff. And it really makes me realize that for a lot of people, just the fact that you could use a horse as a motivator to get a child to read just goes to show how special a horse can be for a child who hasn't seen one before. Oh, definitely. I know this one time, one of the kids, we had did like everything. And then he was like, when do I get to read? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're actually interested. <laughs> we spent that whole hour or whatever. And then for him to be like, okay, when's the reading part? That just meant a lot to me. <laughs> That's really lovely. Now, I want to acknowledge, I think I hear a second guest with you. Is that your newborn? Yes, this is my my youngest. Her name is Charlie. <laughs> oh, Charlie. Well, welcome to the podcast, Charlie. <laughs> Let's flash forward to August of 2020. Supporters on social media had heard about your story and, and came together to donate a truck and a trailer that allowed you to reach communities across North Carolina. What's that been like over the last year? I mean, obviously, you've had to deal with all the stuff that comes along with the pandemic that we've all been experiencing. But what have been some of your favorite memories from your travels around the state? (laughs) Driving the truck in general, I didn't learn how to drive a truck with a trailer attached to it until like a few years ago. (laughs) One of my friends, he's like a brother to me. His name is Harrison. He had taught me and (laughs) I was so scared that first time. So. In getting that truck and trailer, it's just been a cool journey just being comfortable with driving it. (laughs) I've been so many places taking that thing, but I know like a lot of times I'll go to the park. I'll go to Nightdale Station Park and I'll like park the trailer and I just pray that there's enough spaces so I don't have to try to back (laughs) out or anything because I'm not good at backing. (laughs) I cannot back that thing at all. (laughs) But I go to the park a lot. And this one time I went and I wasn't going to go this day, but I was like, I'm just going to go. And I was just sitting there. I had I had like a chair, like a, one of those foldable chairs. And I was sitting there with Man Man and I was blowing bubbles. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to just chill out before I go and get bum rushed by all these kids. <laughs> and this little girl had came over with her mom and she just, spent some time just touching man man and she didn't want to touch him at first she was really scared and I was just telling her like it was okay and her mom was talking to her and so eventually like she did it by herself and I believe this little girl was non-verbal and when she left she had said bye and I was just like that was just so special like that was such a special moment and to think I almost didn't come out here but I, I had no idea that she was nonverbal. And so when she said bye, like her mom was so happy, but she also didn't want to leave. She was holding on to her mom's leg because she didn't want them to go. But I just thought that was so special. And it's just moments like that, you know, when I get up and I'm like, okay, I might be tired, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do this because I never know what this moment and what kids are going to come up and interact with my horses and what that will do for them. 
In terms of how many of these trips that you're taking are impromptu versus scheduled, like for our audience and and I guess also selfishly for me, like kind of walk me through like what an average month or week would look like for Saddle Up and Read as you journey across the state. Like how much of it is kind of these impromptu or I guess you could say unscheduled events where you go to a park and just allow children to come in and, and meet Man Man. And then like how many of them are organized with schools or official events where it's sort of planned and, and the children know in advance? With the pandemic, that really changed things. That's when I really started being very impromptu about it. And that's like 80 of the time. Now we're finally getting back on a schedule because schools would not allow me to come in. And they were just like, they're not allowing anyone to come. So even the libraries, there's still some libraries here that aren't doing story time. And I'm just like, y'all, I want to read to kids. (laughs) (laughs) And so libraries literally just started emailing me again and teachers just started contacting me again. So that I'll probably do like scheduled at least to a month. I don't know when this podcast comes out, but this Saturday I'll be in Raleigh and this was scheduled. I'll be in Raleigh with the author Kelly Lyons and she's doing a book signing in Raleigh. So that's scheduled and we're letting people know about that. And then I'm also doing some readings with kids downtown Wendell on that same day. So, oh, and I have a 4-H meeting on the same day. (laughs) So cramming everything (laughs) into one day. But I'm hoping that next year, because now that I'm getting more emails, I'll be able to do like two with schools and then two outings where the kids are coming to the farm. And the weekday, it's not really like a lot to do. That's why I kind of just stick to going to the parks during the weekday because, you know, families are they, they're doing dinner and all that. But most of the times they are out there at the park. <laughs> they're like they have their routines. <laughs> park, you know, go home, take a bath and eat dinner. Some of the most endearing images that I've come across while learning about you and your mission are photos of children reading books to your horses. What's the significance of that? Why are children reading to horses? Well, I really feel like, and one day we will have research to back this. I feel like the horses serve as like this non-judgmental teacher or support, this non-judgmental aid. And that's not me saying, you know, like teachers are judgmental. It's just that I know that sometimes teachers and parents say things without thinking how the child is going to perceive it. You know, a child might mispronounce a word and they might hear an adult make a comment like, oh, you know this word, or like, why are you messing up? Or even something that's more harsh. But what is a horse going to say? A horse isn't going to say anything that's going to hurt their feelings. If anything, the horse might like walk away, but it's going to come right back. (laughs) You know, that's not really going to hurt that child's feelings while they're reading. And I've seen it. So I think the horse's being there for the kids to read to them. It's just like they're they're not really reading to themselves, but it's kind of like they're reading to themselves and they're uninterrupted. And once they're done, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't that hard because I've stood beside some kids if they wanted help with pronouncing words and I've heard them actually attempt it without asking me first. I think that's a really good step for them to to just have that space to be like, okay, I can mess up here, you know? And one of our kids, and I love her so much. I know she said that she had became more confident in reading out loud in the classroom because she was reading to the horses. That makes a difference. In some ways, I imagine you've probably been, I mean, it's not exactly the same. You're an adult and you know how to read. But I I remember seeing in one of your tweets, you were talking about the idea of having a really long phone call was in some ways stressful to you because imagining like yourself talking for that long was something that you don't normally do. Now, granted, you're on a podcast with me now and I've seen you on all these national shows I imagine you've gone through your own period of growth, becoming more comfortable doing public speaking and being out there in the public yourself. Oh my goodness. Yes. Cause I can talk to my horses all day and I will. I even, I talked to man, man, um, <laughs> when goat was here, I would have full conversations with her. That is very comfortable for me, but yeah, like doing stuff like this at first I was very scared and I was trying to like 
I don't know, like have this script in my head and stuff. And that did not work out for me. (laughs) And even as an adult, there are some words I cannot pronounce. Right. (laughs) And so like sometimes if I'm being recorded, I won't even attempt. I'll just find another word. (laughs) But the horse is really it has really helped me. And then realizing that people are really out and just looking for good things that are going on. They're looking for like something that's positive today. And so when I get to talk about Saddle Up and Read and I see people sharing it, I'm just like, well, this is just one part of my life, but it's a very positive part. And it would not work out if it weren't for those people who are supporting it. Because I know like when I had first started, people didn't quite understand. They were like, you're getting books to give to kids for free. You're letting kids ride your horses and read to your horses for free like what's the catch and I'm like there's literally no catch like I'm just doing this because I feel like it's something I'm passionate about and I feel like it's one of my life's purposes so I really appreciate any supporters that are listening I really appreciate y'all because in the very beginning I had to work extremely hard. Like I had to work hard now, but I had to work extremely hard to get people to just donate books. (laughs) I was going at it every single day just to get books because before I was really putting in my own money for it. And even my husband was helping with that. I think you're right on the money there, Caitlin. You know, the news is just constantly bombarding us with negative stories. And if that's all you read and all you see, and if you're on social media, there's just so much negativity as well. And obviously, there is negativity in the world. There are bad things happening, and we need to try our best to correct them. I've also talked with some of my close friends, and they all feel burnt out by how negative everything is. So I think when people come across stories like yours, and they see someone trying to make a difference in a really good way, I think it's like a breath of fresh air. And again, I only know a piece of your story from what I've researched, but it seems like you're really touching in on something where people want to feel like they can give back towards a positive story, something to make the world a little better than just social media and the news always complaining about how bad everything is. So I think you're touching on something there. And I'd like to think that's why you're getting the support you're getting. Yeah, I I think that too. And thank you. But yeah, just trying to be positive because if we're seeing all this negativity and some of us are even living it, what are the kids seeing and what are they hearing? And where's their escape? I know like where I live outside of the park, there's really not much for kids to do. And just think about like if you have a parent or a guardian who doesn't have transportation or has to work until like six or eight o'clock at night, there's not much that those kids are doing. So when we did get that truck and trailer, I started going into neighborhoods, not even just parks. I was going into the neighborhoods because I know not everyone would be able to come to the farm. So I was trying to bring like just a piece of it to them. And the horse trailer is full of books. So the kids, they could pick out whatever books that they wanted and they get to keep them. That's really lovely. On CBS this morning, you had said, quote, when I was younger, people could not believe that I had horses because I'm black. So I'm doing my very best to get out there and show other kids of color that this is very possible for them. And it's really disheartening to hear some of their stories because they're at these barns where they want to feel welcome and they feel all eyes are on them because they're black, end quote. And that's really disheartening to hear, to be honest. And I'm glad that you're out there and you're doing your part to make this a reality for children. And I'll be honest that until recently, I think because of if I'm being honest here, probably some intentional omissions from history. I wasn't aware of how many black cowboys and and cowgirls there were in the late 19th century. But I was reading an article in the Smithsonian recently, according to historians' estimates, about one out of every four cowboys in the 19th century were black. Do you have a personal favorite from history that you particularly love? My favorite cowboy that I've been learning about, his name is Bob Lemons. He was once a slave and he found his work in corralling wild horses. And I know people. there are some people out in the world who are totally against that, but people just have to realize for him to do that, and he was very good at it because he would trail the horses until they kind of like felt like he was a horse. So he would follow them for weeks and sometimes months just so he could get them to follow him back to the corrals. But that was the only way that he could make a living. And because he was so good at it and nobody else could do that like him, that's how he survived. And so I really like learning about his story because I just think 
how do you even figure out that you can do that? (laughs) You know, like, how do you say like, okay, I'm just going to go out here for months at a time. Like he was by himself and just having his horse, his stallion that he had with him and trusting his stallion, you know, to carry him everywhere. I couldn't even imagine (laughs) what that might've been like. And I just love learning about him. His name was Bob Lemons. He's definitely one of my favorites. You know, I grew up watching Westerns, or rather the better way to say that is my dad watched a lot of Westerns when I was a kid. He grew up watching Westerns. He was kind of obsessed with that genre. You know, I would watch him watching Westerns. And he has been going on and on recently about the movie The Harder They Fall. As far as he's concerned, he said it's the best Western that he's seen in like two or three decades. I think he's seen it two times already. Might have already seen it a third time. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to mention really quickly on his behalf, because I think he would kill me if I didn't. He wanted me to mention one of his favorite cowboys that he's read God knows how many books about. His favorite black cowboy was Bass Reeves. And so I asked him before recording, I said, you know, Pops, hit me with some of your favorite facts about Bass Reeves. And this is amazing. So Reeves was born a slave. He served as a servant for the Confederacy and fought in several battles before he escaped to freedom. Then he lived among Native Americans for a time and learned several languages. Then in 1875, he became a U.S. deputy marshal. He had over 3,000 arrests in his career. He would regularly bring in up to 14 criminals at a time by himself. As a result of these impressive stats, he was federal judge Isaac Charles Parker's favorite lawman. Parker was nicknamed the hanging judge because of how many convicts he sentenced to death. But out of all 250 lawmen that Parker appointed, Reeves was his favorite. Reeves had 11 children, one of whom he actually had to arrest for murder. (laughs) So this dude was a badass, pardon my French, but it's just amazing how many stories that there are of truly amazing men and women. And it's great that movies like The Harder They Fall have come out. Have you seen the film? Oh, yes. I've seen it four times. Four times. Wow. Yes. So I think I had to watch it so many times because I watched it with my husband first and I got a chance to see it before it actually came out. And then I watched it with my mom. Then I watched it with my dad and my sister. And then I watched it with my friend, Martha. I drove to Virginia, which is like three hours from where I stay now in Virginia. (laughs) I drove there with three of my kids and I watched it with her and her husband. And that was so cool. I love watching it with them. But for me, because I know who the characters really were that first time, it was really hard just to, they take a lot of fictional liberties with the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot. I'm just like, that's not who they were. And they didn't look like that, but I was (laughs) trying to like cut it off so I could actually enjoy it. (laughs) which was kind of hard because I study these people. But there were a lot of parts that were really funny. And so when I watched it with Martha and her husband, they laughed at all the parts that I would laugh at. And I was just like, yes, somebody who gets it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, my dad made a similar comment when I was talking with him about it because he said it's it's sort of like the movie Tombstone, if you've ever seen that movie from like the 1990s, where it's like, it takes a lot of liberties with like the actual characters, but it, it gets like a lot of the larger points right in that it respects the characters and does honor by them, but gets a lot of the little details wrong. Yeah. And it was really messing me up with Cherokee Bill because Cherokee Bill was very young. So I thought he was going to be Beckworth, but they weren't. I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense because Cherokee <laughs> Bill died when he was 20. Why is it he him? <laughs> yeah. So that actually takes us to the book that you wrote, which was the Black Equestrian Coloring Book, which is the first volume of, I imagine, several volumes. Tell me a little bit about how you came to write that book and what that process was like. Oh, my goodness. So I have a collection of every published book that features Black equestrians. And it might seem small to other people, but it seems small to me because in like one horse series of like, I don't know, like thoroughbreds or something like that, there's like 60 books or a hundred books. And there's like a bunch of those. But in this collection so far, I have almost maybe 60 books in total. And even in my research, I'm not really finding much more. So I'm like, sheesh. But in collecting these books, only maybe four of them are for kids. And I'm just like, why don't we have more books that have black children and children of color and horses, but just enjoying horses, just being normal with horses. All of these books are about history. And it's just like, 
that's the only time, <laughs> you know, like somebody thought to to make one. So what I'm doing in this coloring book is taking these people and putting these images so that kids can color and they can learn about these characters in the text that they can actually read. Because these books that I'm collecting, they're like these very thick, <laughs> very, very thick textbooks. No kid is going to sit there and read that. <laughs> <laughs> so it started out with me doing that. And then I added pictures of actual black boys and girls, you know, like riding horses. Alongside the historic figures. Exactly. And there's like a message in there and it says, you are the next generation of equestrians. And it's true because they are, whether they see it in media or in a catalog or anything like that, they're the next generation. And so this is the first volume that's out now. It's the Trailblazers. And I'm talking about these 12 different characters, four of which were mentioned in the movie. My mom said they must have saw my coloring book and just picked some of my people. (laughs) So Bass Reeves is in there and Mary Fields, Kathy Williams. And there's one more. They are all in there and some other ones. And I just thought it would be really cool to introduce these in the form of a coloring book because I never had a coloring book that had characters with features that weren't white. (laughs) Like I've never had that. And even coloring them brown, it still didn't look right because we didn't have the same features. So for kids to have this and it's mixed in with horses, I just think that's like the ultimate way to show representation. And all of them aren't going to be based on historic figures. Eventually I'm going to talk about equestrians who have paved the way today and are still alive. I'm going to include my dad and my uncle Otis, <laughs> you know, in one of those. But I just want to to keep that alive and keep those names alive because I didn't know any of these people prior to 2016. I did not know them at all. So for me to have grown up, you know, being an, an equestrian, and that's the other thing, that word equestrian a lot of people don't associate that with people of color. Like I had noticed that it was either, yeah. you know, like I'm a horse person or I'm a cowgirl or a cowboy. But the word equestrian really just means anyone who performs or rides on horseback. But for me, I'm kind of like adding to that definition and just saying, if you love horses, if you're around horses, if you're interested in horses, we are going to consider you an equestrian because I know that having your own horse isn't feasible for everyone and especially not for kids, but a lot of kids love horses. So we're just going to let them, you know, you're an equestrian now. And one day you might be in a position to own a horse or to lease a horse or to take lessons or anything like that. So that is like my entire message behind this coloring book. And I'm so happy that I was able to publish that. And I can't wait to get the rest of the volumes out. Now, I know that Saddle Up and Read and your mission in general is to improve literacy among young people and especially young people of color. And also to show them, just as you said, that the loving horses like reading can be possible for them as well. But without getting into the nitty gritty, you talked about it briefly just now. Horse ownership can often be expensive for the average person, even if the stable, you know, is rented and they don't, you know, own the space. But how can horses be made more accessible to more children going forward so that more children of all backgrounds can become equestrians one day? So I will tell you what it is that I've been doing. One of the things that has helped me really like make this accessible is like, At first, I really just said, you know what? I have horses. We have the space on the farm. I'm going to just let kids come here for free. That is one of the things that I did like the very first time. And I understand like everybody's not going to be willing to do that. And so years later, what I found helpful was finding organizations who would pay for those lessons or finding someone who was willing to pay for those lessons. And that has been working for me. There's just been a few different organizations that have came forward or some people who are like, Hey, I would love to sponsor this for these kids. And I have done that. And, and again, this is just me. Like, even if they paid for like an hour, those kids came and they stayed for as long as they wanted to, (laughs) but it's worked out for me. And I would just suggest for those who, who may be in, you know, that kind of area where kids can't afford it. 
I would suggest that reaching out to different organizations in your community and figuring out how can you partner or, you know, collab with someone else and just doing it from a space of like you wanting to give back because that's how you have to look at it. I don't know how other organizations would do that or trainers who like have these professional academies, how they would incorporate that. And I wouldn't say, you know, just start up another nonprofit, maybe find a nonprofit in the area and start there if they need help. And if it's not one and there's absolutely nobody doing this at all, then I would say start a nonprofit. But I know that sounds crazy, but when people ask me, Anything about nonprofits, I just say, do not start one. (laughs) Don't. There's like (laughs) a million nonprofits in this world. And for me, it's just like, why would somebody take those resources from another organization that might just be specific to that community when you could just help them? There have been times where I needed help and people are asking me, you know, like, how could they start something here too? And I'm like, what? Why don't you just come and work with me? (laughs) You know, so... That is what I would say. And again, I know everybody, you know, might not have the heart for that and thinking of it as a way to give back because, yeah, giving back doesn't really pay the bills, but it's been successful for me and I can't stress that enough. Caitlin, looking to the future of Saddle Up and Read, a recent article in Vogue said your long term goal is, quote, to have her own farm with what she calls literacy lodges for children to come read books and ride horses, end quote. And I'd love to hear more about your vision for this new farm and how it would integrate with the mission of Saddle Up and Read. So I read this book by um, the author Bob Goff, and he has a lodge that they retreat to for like vacations and stuff. And I just thought that that was so amazing. And so after reading his book, I was like, you know, it would be really nice to build something called the Literacy Lodge. And I think of it as like a library, but just more. (laughs) And I don't want librarians to hate me for this, but a library, but a lot more fun and a lot more relaxed. And it involves horses and not saying that libraries aren't relaxed. But there aren't too many libraries with horses. Right. There aren't. (laughs) There aren't. So I'm thinking like this place is just very magical and imaginative. And there's like a spiral staircase and books everywhere, but like not the typical bookshelf structures. And that's just what I'm seeing in my mind. And then these murals of like black and brown children, you know, on the walls and different positive affirmations and pictures of horses and gardens and tractors and all of that stuff in little reading nooks inside the building and maybe outside of the building and in like a garden or near the horse pasture or something. So this literacy lodge is really just something that's in my imagination. And I really want to bring it to life outside of the farm that I currently have in Wendell, North Carolina with my dad. Just a place like I really want to create this space that's so positive and welcoming to imagination and creativity because I felt like as a kid, I used to love to write and write poetry. And I don't really remember a lot of it as an adult. And I don't have a lot of the things that I used to want to keep around. And I I like to collect rocks and stuff like that when I was younger. But where do kids who don't have the freedom to do that really, like where do they go to express their imagination and their creative side in that way? So when I thought about Literacy Lodges, that's what came to mind. Just building this very, I don't know, like this Willy Wonka place with books. <laughs> so that's where you were really thinking about going with the Literacy Lodges. Yep, that is what I was thinking about. And I don't know if it would be in North Carolina or in another state, but I'm hoping to open that up one day. And actually, next year is going to be the launch of the campaign for it. I don't know what what month yet, but that's going to happen next year. Oh, that's wonderful. And it seems like this vision for a literacy lodge, kind of a farm that mixes the love of horses and equestrianism with a love of reading really brings it full circle from the founding of Saddle Up and Read, which took place at the Wendell Community Public Library in 2017. Yep, that is correct. That program, that first time, I'm so happy that I had a chance to do that. And I don't know where in the world Miss Connie is. She was a huge help in that because for that first program, she bought these pillows that were shaped like horses and they were so adorable. So she gave those to the kids along with their certificate that said that they could come out to the farm. 
But if Miss Connie ever hears any of this stuff, I would love for her to reach out and just connect with me because I just want to thank her a million times for being the first person to say yes to my crazy idea about kids reading to horses. (laughs) You know, it can just take like one person or a few people who can really make a change in someone's life. Like the idea for Saddle Up and Read was yours, right? But it, it seems like there were a few people along the way, whether it was Connie or other folks who helped chip in for the truck and trailer that you drive around, who really kind of made it happen. And I think it just speaks to the fact that it really takes a community coming together, even if it has a founder and a visionary like yourself to really make a change like this. And seeing how people are rallying around Saddle Up and Read has been really heartening. So if you weren't going to have the Literacy Lodge in North Carolina, are there other places in the US that you would want to have them? Would you have it in Virginia where you and your family are currently stationed? Or are there other states that you're looking at for particular reasons? I imagine it would be popular in Texas. (laughs) It It probably would be popular in Texas. I have a friend that lives out in Texas. Her name is Michelle, but I've never been to Texas in my life. (laughs) Oh, really? I feel like you'd love it out there. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to just book a trip and, and go out there and see what I see. Oh, yeah. Um, but I would love to do it in Virginia. Something else that I do in this list, it just keeps getting longer. I am on the board of a organization called TRAV, and it is the Therapeutic Association in Virginia. And I serve on the education committee, and I've been learning about it and just trying to do my part to be a, a board member because um, they asked if I could come on. And it has been a lot of fun <laughs> so far um, being with these ladies. But it is located in Virginia. And if I didn't do a literacy lodge in North Carolina, I would definitely do it in Virginia so that we could be a part of their mission. And also because like I've been here, but I haven't really explored out a lot. But I have explored out enough to see that it would be something that is needed here as well. So that would be my other choice. And then like my third choice would be California. California, (laughs) And I know that's like so random, but I've been to California. Uh, My husband, he was stationed there for five years. Oh, wow. Where in California? Um, He was in Oxnard, but I have a friend, her name is Brittany and she lives out in California. And so I would love to be near her because she has a program and she teaches horseback riding lessons. And so there's all these different connections going on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm biased having been born and raised in California. It's a pretty great state. Although I will say, I imagine the land is probably a lot more expensive than it would be other places. Oh, it it definitely (laughs) is. (laughs) It definitely is. I think I saw not even a full acre and it was like, a million dollars. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like a, a steal, actually. Quite the deal. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, expanding on the Literacy Lodge, in terms of how you would get horses, do you picture this as being also a, like a horse sanctuary of sorts? Or or how do you see yourself coming across the horses that would populate the farm? Oh, my goodness. It would be my dream that there... Okay, so there is a horse rescue in Texas called Freedom Reigns. Oh, I think I've heard of them. Yeah. And I love them. Well, you probably have. I got one of my horses from them. That's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) And so if I could ever like set up something with them where they get in rescues and once those rescues are, they're able to be adopted out, the ones that they would see fit for us, I would love to adopt from them. Um, I trust them and I support them fully. And they have been super supportive of Saddle Up and Read. Like, I didn't even expect that when I first met them (laughs) Um, and I adopted this horse, but they've been so supportive. So that is how I would see that because I just trust them a lot and I would want to support them that way. When they do get in more rescues, we can say, hey, here's a place that we believe in. And I just know, like, in the horse world, it's really hard to... I guess, figure out what people are actually doing good things with these horses that they're trying to prevent from going into kill shelters because this is turned into a business. Like there are people who will say, "Okay, y'all go ahead and bid up a lot of money and I'll let you have this horse so I don't take it to a kill pen. And it's really sad that that's something that happens. That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, it it really is like it is absolutely disgusting. So for them to and they drive all over. I mean, I sent a horse towards them that was in Texas, but 
they've been all over this country just saving horses and doing the best that they can to make sure that those horses have a, a better chance at life. So that would be my dream <laughs> if they would be up for it. Because right now I know I wouldn't have the capacity to like seek out horses that that needed rescue just because there's just so much going on. But with them, because they take their time, they make sure that they know these horses and they make sure that they get them back to a better quality of health. So they already have a process. I don't want to create one for myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally understand that. I know that you are like an incredibly busy woman who is somehow a part of a dozen different organizations and activities. But have you heard of the nonprofit Let Grow? I have not. So one of the guests on the program, Lenore Skenazy, is the president and co-founder of the organization. And I'd love to do like an email intro for the two of you, because I think that you might be able to do something together. The idea behind Let Grow is giving young children more autonomy and responsibility so that they can grow mentally and emotionally into stronger adults. And again, I know that probably wasn't the primary mission of something like Saddle Up and Read, but it feels like it is connected, at least on some kind of fundamental level, of giving kids more autonomy and more space to kind of look after themselves. Definitely. And I can't wait for this to happen and it to really become reality, especially with having a farm and giving kids that chance to grow their own food. I, I did that once. I've helped out with like a garden and letting kids actually fill the soil in their hands and uproot weeds and stuff. So I just can't wait to see this all come together and actually be a thing and not just the idea. <laughs> well, Caitlin, I have to say, if there's anyone that I've spoken to over this last year and change on this podcast that I believe will make something like that happen, it is definitely you. Oh, thank you. In terms of helping your nonprofit and people wanting to give back through your organization, I think the thing that's been kind of running through my head as we've been talking is, you know, if you're driving all over the state and you're, you know, somehow, I don't know how you're doing it, Caitlin, it seems like you're finding 30 hours in a 24 hour day. But at a certain point, right, Saddle Up and Reed's mission is sort of limited by the fact that you're just one woman. So as you look forward into the future for Saddle Up and Reed's next chapters, is it something where you're looking to expand it to find other people with other farms? Or, or I guess, what are the next steps for Saddle Up and Reed so it can reach more children beyond what you as just only one individual can do? I have been working on adding some more people. It's just been like a matter of getting these things planned and also just finding people. Cause like there have been people who have been interested, but then like something happened and they couldn't. So it's kind of like, okay, back to the drawing board. But yes, definitely expanding in that, expanding with volunteers. And then eventually I'm hoping, you know, working things out with our accountant because she's, She's been really super great. And our nonprofit consultant, they've both been awesome. But working out things so that once we do get like a very solid team, we can go into different states. But that's not going to be anything that happens soon. But right now, it's just really forming up a solid team of people. Things have just been really weird with this pandemic because we just never know what might happen. Like family stuff comes up all the time and scheduling conflicts. And while there are a lot of people who aren't in North Carolina who want to help, I absolutely need people who are here as well. So I've just been building up that team of people. And I'm hoping by March, we will have that team completed and we'll know what to look for as we go. Because starting in March, we'll be doing the programs, run the programs again. So throughout the entire year, I'm hoping that more people will actually see what we really do and they'll come on and they'll stay on. So I'm really hoping for that. That's great. Now, this episode is going to be released at the start of December. We'll be entering the holiday season, obviously. So in terms of how people from around the United States or the rest of the world in terms of how they can best help you from a distance, I suppose, in this instance, if they don't live nearby, what's the thing that they can do to best help you and Saddle Up and Read? Is it a financial donation? Is it books? Is it something else? What's the best way that to anyone listening right now, they can help you in your mission? Honestly, I think continuing to share everything that Saddle Up and Read is doing. When I send out emails, forward it to somebody that you know, because everything is there. You know, if people want to donate, you can find it all on the website and on the emails, but just getting the word out even further that would mean so much to me. 
people have, you know, like emailed me and said that they heard about the nonprofit because their friend or somebody they work with. And that has really opened up so many doors for Saddle and Reed. So please, if you're listening to this, please continue to do that. Just talk about it. <laughs> you know, just bring it up. Have you heard about this nonprofit? Here's their Instagram. Follow their Instagram. And they have a Twitter and a Facebook page. You'll like it. So if people can just continue to do that and put great things about Saddle Up and Read out there, I would really appreciate that. Yes. And to anyone listening, and this will be in the show notes, that's saddleupandread.org. The very first thing that comes up when you go to the website is an option to join the mailing list. So you can do that right away. There's links to the Facebook and Instagram accounts. So I highly recommend it. And not just because it's for a good cause, but you can see many photos of Man Man, who is adorable. So I guess one more thing. We talked about Goat a little bit, and I know that she only recently passed away. If you feel comfortable talking about it, do you have a favorite memory of her over the 20 plus years that you spent with her that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, Goat, she had her own personality. And the one thing that I really like just would look at her and just be like, you are just so cute. Whenever I would like rub her upper lip, she would kind of wiggle it back and forth. And for me, it was like, oh, we have this little this little handshake. <laughs> but it was just so cute because she would always do that. And it's not like I had, you know, like a treat or anything. She was just, she would just do it back. And I've tried that on other horses and none of them ever did it, <laughs> but she did it. That is like always one of my favorite memories. And like I said earlier, I would talk to her all the time. So I felt like she was listening. <laughs> I don't have any horses, but I have a dog who I've had for the last few years. And especially during the pandemic, I would like, cause I live alone. So I would find myself just talking to him in paragraphs. And even <laughs> though I knew that he couldn't understand me, it just felt really good to be able to talk to him because I felt less alone. And I felt like he understood me, even if I knew in my heart of hearts that, you know, he doesn't understand English, but I feel like there is something even on like a deep level, right? I imagine when you were talking to goat, like even if she didn't obviously understand everything that you were saying. I feel like animals, especially ones as smart as horses, they get it. Like they may not understand everything that you're saying word for word, but I feel like they do understand the emotional undercurrent of what you're communicating to them. And there's a deep bond there, I think. Yep, you're right. So Caitlin, to take us to the final question that I ask every guest, and I think it's especially appropriate for someone like you, as individuals, we're limited in our time, our energy, and often in our capacity for empathy. Even the most well-intentioned and caring person can't be thinking of everyone else, every group of people all the time. It's just impossible, right? There's too many things going on in the day. You've got 18,000 steps and horses to take care of, and there's just a lot going on, right? So is there someone or a group of people in your life or in the world at large right now that you, Caitlin, would like to take a moment and offer empathy to? Hmm. <laughs> My cousin, Janae. I just love her so much. <laughs> she has been through a lot these last couple of years. Her grandparents had passed away and her mother had passed away all within the the same six month time frame. I just think for anyone, that's a lot to go through in such a short time. And to just see her today and see how much she has grown and how much she has grown as a person it's just amazing to watch because she is my role model and I really look up to her <laughs> um, and she's doing things and she has her own business. She's an entrepreneur and just being able to watch her really do that and go for the things that she wants, even though she experienced that loss in such a short time. It's just amazing to me. So Janae, I love you so much. I was just with her over the weekend and I talk to her nearly every day. <laughs> so I hope she knows how much I care about her and I appreciate her. Thank you for sharing that, Caitlin. I've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. The first episode came out in September of 2020. And I've had a lot of amazing guests on. I've been very blessed to have some great conversations. At the beginning of the podcast, when I first started it, I would hold myself back from, I think, saying what certain guests kind of meant to me and, and what their work meant to me, because I felt this weird feeling of like, well, I have to remain professional and I shouldn't, you know, flatter the guests too much. But I think over the last year and change, I've come to appreciate how short life is. And if you don't tell someone what their work means to you or what they mean to you, you'll regret it later. So I just want to say, as someone who had parents who fostered a love of reading and writing from a young age, that I am extremely grateful for what you're doing. 
And I think that you just strike me as a truly amazing person. And I'm grateful that you exist and that you're helping children become passionate about reading because I think it's it's a very important thing. So thank you for the work that you're doing, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Thank you. 